You're a little older and a lot wiser. The future is yours. Define aging on your own terms. Welcome to AARP Without Limits with your host, Mike Olander. Hello and welcome. This is AARP Without Limits, WPTF Talk Radio, disrupting aging with the power of 50,000 watts. And our podcast available anytime on demand at WPTF.com or our Facebook, AARP North Carolina. I'm your host, Mike Olander, with AARP North Carolina. We've got a great show for you today, folks. ARP North Carolina's own Lisa Regal and Chris Brandenburg are back with us to talk about North Carolina's recently enacted state budget and what is in it for older adults. But before we get to that, as always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with our esteemed production engineer, Mr. Jason Kong. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Mike, I'm full of sugar and ready for the show today. Sugar? We had three birthdays celebrated in my home last week, so we have have cakes and cupcakes overflowing everywhere, so I am still on a sugar high from last week. Oh, wow. So my my wife, my son, and my father-in-law all celebrated their birthday last week, so... Three different cakes. It was it was wild. So uh, I'm guessing it sounds like your your blood is rich in sugar, and maybe you're a little poorer in the pocket though with that many number of birthday presents. I'm guessing. So I need a, another full year to recover for the the onslaught next year. Gotcha. I, I know exactly what you mean because we've been I've been in this nasty little habit. I've been treating the staff every Wednesday to crumble cookie. Oh, look I've at been you. bringing it in. Yeah, and uh, we we bring them in as you know. Like I want well, maybe you don't know this, but you go in there, they show like the calorie count. <laughs> And there's a little asterisks next to it. And you read it and it says, oh, this calorie count is just for one quarter of the cookie. Some of those cookies are well over 800 calories each if you eat the whole thing. So it's a little um, little crazy. Moving on, uh, or that being said, I have uh, been definitely feeling a bit of a, a sugar buzz lately, and uh, at least on Wednesdays. So that's been a little... Uh, I can kind of feel your pain. Let me just put it that way. Um, Anyway, Jason, uh, I've had a pretty interesting uh, weekend this this past week here. I wanted to share with you before we get into our program. Um, I ventured up to New York City, and um, something I've done a a number of times in the last couple of years, gone on Broadway. And uh, I got to see Back to the Future, the musical. Oh, nice. Yes. Very, very fun. First off, the weather was great. Well, actually, the weather was okay. <laughs> Let me take that back. But the vibe was great. It was a really, really fun show. Um, I don't know how into Back to the Future you were. I know... Big fan. Yeah? Uh, I know when I was a kid, when that came out, that was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and then the other, you know, the, the the sequels and stuff were good too, but the original was pretty awesome and they kept it pretty... They paid a lot of attention to detail. You know, they're definitely fun movies, right? Oh, man. I, the Back to the Future is, in my opinion, maybe the closest thing to the perfect movie. Like, there's wow. no there's no fat to trim there. It's just a very well-done movie. Wow. Well, I would uh, agree. Um, and I have to say, the musical did not disappoint. It was. I was wondering how they were going to do it. Um, a lot of, again, a lot of attention to detail. They, they basically used the same props from the movie. You know, it's sort of like the official musical of the movie. So there was like the real stuff, you know. Um, 
the clothes, the props, you know, even the little guitar. Remember in the beginning where he blows out the speaker? That same guitar, the same one. So it was a lot of fun to, to see all that, and they took some liberties with it, so it, it kind of kept you interested to see, you know, how they were going to make it different from the movie. But anyway, while I was up there, I was thinking about two things. Number one, you know, you see Back to the Future, and, you know, your mind starts wandering. You know, you start thinking about time travel and sort of the, the consistencies or the inconsistencies that are in the film, and, you know, what would you do in your own life um, if you could go back and do certain things over. Obviously, nothing we can do about that type of thing, except to live in the moment, to try to learn from the past mistakes and celebrate the things that we did do well. The other thing, you know, I was thinking about was um, uh, management of of time. Um, And, you know, as you know, I used to work for ARP North Carolina, or ARP New York. I got started up there. Manhattan was part of my territory. I I had a few of the boroughs, actually. And I remember thinking, man, like I used to, this was part of the everyday grind for me was, you know, if I wasn't commuting into the city, into the office, I was going to meetings, we were doing events, we were meeting with legislators, we were doing a lot and doing things at that New York pace, you know, which was crazy. Uh, And that sometimes meant, you know, dealing with commuting. If I had to drive into the city, it was terrible because I only live 30 miles outside of the city. But with traffic, if you go at the wrong time, uh, you got a, a three-hour commute driving into the city versus if you leave a little bit earlier, it takes you 30 minutes, right? So I would have these days where I would have to get up really early in the morning sometimes, like, all right, I got to be there first thing for whatever, driving in, and, um, and I realized at some point, you know, like, I really hate getting up this early, and, you know, that, that can be pretty stressful, and I realized, you know what? I'm going to get up a half hour earlier than I need to because, you know what? Now it becomes my time, and now I own it. And it was amazing. The stress levels just dropped. And then in, the night before, instead of being like, oh, my God, I have to get up at 4.30, I'd be like, you know what? I'm getting up at 4 in the morning, and I'm taking my time, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to enjoy it. And um, I think, for me, that's been a, a, a lesson that I've learned and carried through my life uh, regardless of um, – What's been going on? Thank God I don't have to commute into the city anymore. But uh, when you have those moments where you're, you know, having to deal with obligations, sometimes it helps just to look at things uh, a little bit differently and to decide to own it. Anyway, way off topic from what we're uh, here to talk about. Uh, We are here uh, today joined in the studio once again uh, with our advocacy team at ARP North Carolina. That is the manager of advocacy and livable communities, Lisa Regal, and the associate state director for advocacy, Chris Brandenburg. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Mike. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us back, Mike. Sure, and thanks for your patience as I went down that (laughs) hole talking about time travel and back to the future. Um, So first things first, there's been... It's been quite a busy, uh, crazy budget season. And for those who haven't been paying attention, who are listening right now, just tell us all what happened with the state budget and why did it take so long? Yeah, well, I think crazy is uh, maybe a little bit of an understatement. Um, But, yeah, you know, Senator Perry, who was on last week, alluded to... um, we do have a history in North Carolina of uh, having good intentions and having a budget done by the end of June and then uh, typically uh, not quite meeting that goal. So um, our budget, our state budget, actually just went into effect October 2nd. Um, and it did take some time. Um, you would think with a supermajority uh, in the House and the Senate that uh, Republicans um, would have been able to, to come to a consensus a little faster. But uh, 
there were there was a, a tough issue that I think uh, probably a lot of folks who are following the news saw, and that was the issue of uh, casinos in North Carolina, and that that caused uh, quite a big delay. Um, casinos uh, ran together with with tax cuts because casinos would obviously be a, another way for the state to have revenue. And so as they were trying to sort out uh, how big a tax cut and uh, they were looking for other ways for the state to get revenue and, and one of the ideas was casinos and that caused a lot of uh, tension uh, for Republicans and there were some that were all in on it and there were others that had strong feelings against it and it took them uh, quite a long time to ultimately uh, finally come to the conclusion that you know what they don't have the the votes there to be able to get casinos done at this time and so they passed a finally got the budget done and, and left casinos out but uh I can tell you, I don't think that is the end uh, that we're going to see with casinos. I have a feeling they're they're going to be back probably again next year. Mm. Now, last week we had uh, Senator Jim Perry on the program, and we spoke a bit about Medicaid expansion, and uh, he shared why he supports expansion, uh, mostly as a taxpayer and spending issue. But aside from that, uh, what benefit is North Carolina likely to see due to expansion now being implemented? Yeah, so I, I think a couple of the things that have been alluded to already but are, but are really critical um, that, that Senator Perry mentioned is that half a million dollars a month that uh, the state will be bringing in um, federal, you know, federal monies. Um, we were essentially subsidizing other states who have expanded Medicaid, um, and so we will finally be bringing that money back to North Carolina. There's also a large signing bonus. I believe it's between $1.5 and $1.8 billion uh, that the state will We'll see. Um, so uh, those are those are the critical fiscal pieces. But I think uh, the other side of the coin, which is even more important, is the 600 some thousand folks in North Carolina who will now uh, finally have that access to care. Um, and many of those people are between the ages of 50 to 64 and fall in that that coverage gap. So uh, we're very proud uh, that those folks will, will get that access. Um, I believe December 1st is actually. Um, when DHHS has said uh, that that uh, expansion will be ready to go live, and there will be almost half of those who will already be eligible um, when, when when it does go live. So um, it, that was just a refreshing thing to see in North Carolina with all of the um, the things we see nationally, um, sort of a lack of bipartisanship to see uh, you know the Democratic governor uh, come together and work with the Republican General Assembly and be able to get a, just a massive massive win uh, for North Carolina uh, was, was a really refreshing thing to see. It is refreshing. I'm, I'm glad you put it that way, too. And we had Senator Perry here last week. I mentioned to him, you know, I'm wondering if, uh, or I'd asked him, I'm, I'm wondering if this is maybe the beginning of a new era of bipartisanship around health care, because for many years, health care really has been a very divisive political issue. You know, there are very strong opinions about how Healthcare should be addressed, whether it was affordability, whether it was coverage. Uh, you know, what is the role of the government to play in that? Essentially, you know, Republicans and Democrats differing very harshly on that. And then when the Affordable Care Air Act passed, excuse me, Affordable Care Act passed, um, which included Medicaid expansion, North Carolina was one of those states that actually passed legislation prohibiting the state from expanding Medicaid. And then here we are now. Uh, years past where we actually have agreement and you have 
you know, they didn't go kicking, uh, kicking and screaming. The, the leadership, Republican leadership, was there leading the way and deciding, you know, a couple of years ago we need to do this um, and working uh, with the governor and, and, uh, and others to, to see it actually happen. So I'm hopeful that um, as, you know, the state moves along um, and nationally as Republicans and Democrats look at the urgency of these issues, that uh, there is more more bipartisanship, that these uh, issues of health care, um, prescription drugs, et cetera, don't, you know, uh, continue to be so partisan and instead actually um, we can actually have some real productivity there in, in addressing the needs of, of people. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, folks. When we get back, we're going to dig a bit more into the state budget and uh, what items are in there for older adults that you need to know about. This is ARP Without Limits. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is AARP Without Limits. Folks, we always love to hear from you. Be sure to reach out to us if you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest. We always love to hear from you. Send us an email to AARP Without Limits at aarp.org. We've been speaking today with Lisa Regal and Chris Brandenburg from AARP North Carolina talking about uh, the state budget, which is now finally being implemented. Um, And we've just been talking about Medicaid expansion and sort of the long road to get there. But there's a lot more in the state budget, um, especially items that pertain to older adults, that we need to talk about. So, Chris, the, the state budget included a number of funding items critical to older adults. Can you speak to some of those pieces? Sure. There, there were a number in there. Um, you know, one of them that I was most excited about was uh, something we call the personal needs allowance. Uh, PNA is often what we call it around here for short. Um, and personal needs allowance is something that, um, well, in this case, in nursing homes, uh, folks get a, a monthly uh, small stipend it's been thirty dollars since 1987, um, and I'm, I'm certainly no economist, but I believe that uh, the value of thirty dollars has probably changed pretty significantly in the last 36 years. Um, <laughs> and this money is is used for simple things like toiletries um, for for these residents. Um, and so we had been advocating along with some other strong partners for quite a long time for this for this uh, to be increased, and we were very proud to see. Uh, in the state budget that this uh, personal needs allowance was increased from from 30 to 70 dollars so a pretty significant jump that uh, we have been fighting for that was a a big win that we were happy to see in there for folks that are in nursing homes Um, anybody who's been watching uh, the news lately um, has probably seen that there are several states now that are dealing with healthcare workers actually striking Um, another uh, win in our state budget uh, was uh, the Medicaid reimbursement rate being uh, continuing at the, the COVID rate with the, with the federal sort of supplement that we had been getting, uh, the state decided to fund that with uh, non-reoccurring funds. And that was another big, big win because we already have a, a massive health care shortage in North Carolina, as we've talked about. There's obviously issues with accessibility, especially in rural parts of the state. And so um, keeping those uh, Medicaid reimbursement rates um, where they were during COVID with the state stepping in to provide that funding uh, was another uh, large piece that we were very happy to see uh, made it into the state budget. 
Lisa, I'll let you <laughs> chime in here, too. I'll, I'll welcome you to the party because I know there's some things you want to mention. Oh, sure. Um, you know, with this sh- wor- shortage of health care, especially in rural areas, they also, one smaller thing in the budget that I was happy to see was $5 million for infrastructure so that those communities that don't have the infrastructure to provide telehealth for their communities can now get some grants from DHHS to provide that service. So they're thinking of innovative ways to provide this care. You know, th- that re- those reimbursement rates is critical because we can't fill those spots, so we need to at least keep them at the same salary. And, and there was a clause in there to look at how are we going to do this in the future. And we want to have a preference for people staying in their homes. So staying in their homes, AARP is a big supporter of that because you know, 80, 80 plus people want to age in their home. They don't want to go into institutional care unless they need to. So sort of supporting that idea, there was also funding for the North Carolina Housing um, Trust Fund. The reason that's important is that a lot of people live in homes that maybe they just need some minor repairs that they can't afford to make or they can't afford to make um, changes so that they can get into their home, you know, accessibility ramps. So there's a trust fund that's about $10.66 million a year that now has been funded through the budget for those vulnerable older adults to be able to make those changes so they can stay in their homes. So those are a couple of things that we feel are really important for the growing aging population. Very important stuff and, you know, thinking long term too about these these challenges with things like housing are just incredibly important as the state Mm -hmm. continues to get older demographically. 2023 is also known as the, or is known as the year of the trail. Um, Does the budget address this at all and uh, what does it mean for state. Yeah, so the trails to me is always a more fun part of the budget. Mm-hmm. AARP is a big proponent of, of trails and greenways and open spaces. You may say why. You know, we care about obviously health care and financial resiliency in your older age. But, but you want people to be able to get out, be socially interactive, because that social isolation kills. You want people to be physically fit, because the more physically fit they are, the less care they need. And trails are an important part of that. So we've been part of this coalition that you know, informally for a long time, it's been a more formal coalition and last biennium, they did the, the trail, the state, the year of the trail established legislatively. And then this year in the budget, they were able to really make a big leap with 55, about $55 million. So that's great. About half of that was in earmarks because legislators see how important trails are to communities, economic vitality, you know, again, as all the other benefits to the trails. But then the other half really was more long-term. About half of that was for capacity building, and another half of that other quarter, really, um, is for a new grant program so that you can competitively bid, you know, competitively apply for funding for trails in your community. So that we think of those as, as a really great thing. And we have a lot to thank for the leadership of people like Palmer McIntyre and Iona Thomas, who led this coalition. And then I just have to do a quick shout out to legislators, Representative Arp, Strickland, Kyle Hall, and Senator Jackson for their leadership in in getting this new grant program for trails established. So if all goes well in the coming years, people should be seeing more information about trails Mm -hmm. that are available and, and all of that. Yeah, we have so many amazing resources, natural resources on our state, and the only way you can really enjoy them is if you have trails. So, yes, we we will be seeing some great new ribbon cuttings, hopefully, in your community soon. Mm. All good stuff here. We are here at ARP Without Limits. We've been speaking with Lisa Regal and Chris Brandenburg about the state budget. Uh, Lisa, the other times you've been on this show, uh, we've spoken about how North Carolina is inching towards becoming age-friendly, and this, of course, included the governor signing an executive order back in May 
that directs state agencies to work towards becoming age-friendly. And since then, there's been a lot of progress, right? What's, what's been going yeah, on? Yeah, I think that word inch is a little funny because I think we're taking these big leaps now because it's been inching for years, but now we're jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, so since May, when it was established, we have a steering committee of about 17 people, and this includes the private sector, um, public sector. You know, we have some DHHS and different agencies, and then um, the, the, you know, just basically a very broad stakeholder group steering this work, but then we have 175 people from across the state, public and private, that have signed up to help with this plan. And, you know, again, we just signed that thing in May. We expect to have some preliminary results in February, and then in May we're going to have a report, which is crazy in in a year, but that's because we have 175 different people working on these committees to look at what do we do for transportation? What do we do for housing? You know, what do, what do we do for health care with the ca- shortage? So all those things. So it's, we're hoping we're going to be building on a lot of work that's been done, other, uh, other initiatives, so we're not starting from scratch. We're really taking all those great ideas and putting them into a compelling report. Yeah, I have to say, and we've spoken about this before on the show, I remember years ago when we were first mm-hmm. speaking with the governor's staff about trying to become age-friendly, and they made it clear they wanted it, they were interested but wanted to do it the right way. And then sure enough, as you say, once May came and that executive order was signed, it was like, boom, here we go. Here's the structure. We're moving forward. We're getting together these groups, these committees, and there's a lot of forward momentum going on. So I'm really excited uh, to get that update. Um, In the last minute here or so that we've got, um, interesting year this year, of course, was for the state legislature. Next year is a short session. Uh, Really quickly, uh, what do you expect to see next year as far as uh, bills go? I mentioned the casino bill. Chris, anything else that we can expect? Well, I think you can certainly expect that. The casino bill will probably make a reappearance. Um, I think that'll be a big push. I can tell you from AARP's perspective, we will continue uh, advocating for our uh, small business retirement initiative known as North Carolina Work and Save. Uh, that is something that is, is really needed in this state. 18 other states have already got it going, uh, and we want to help folks have a way to save for retirement who do not have access to do that through their employer right now. So that will be a big push for us. Well, we're, in fact, we're going to have to do a show on that specific topic coming up because that's something we're, we're hoping to see some more momentum and success with next year. Well, folks, that is a wrap. Thanks so much to uh, Chris Brandenburg and Lisa Regal for being with us. Thank you to Jason Kong for production. Thank you for listening. This has been ARP Without Limits. This is Mike Olander of ARP North Carolina. We'll see you next time.